0: Welcome to podcast number four of Cannabis is a Good Neighbor. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'm Brian Anderson, principal of Anderson Porter Design. We are cannabis industry architects. And yeah, our theme is Cannabis is a Good Neighbor. So really excited to be talking to Jay Zarkowski of Canna Advisors, a fellow Connecticut native, uh, which is really cool. But uh, Can Advisors out in Colorado. Jay, let's uh, take it away. Introduce yourself. Give us some background and um, we'll dive into some questions.
1: Brian, it's great to be here on the podcast. Jay Zarkowski, Cannon Advisors, Boulder, Colorado. Uh, prior to the cannabis industry, I was involved in construction and real estate development. Uh, we started that business in the early 2000s, all the way up through the boom and bust. We got into cannabis in 2009, uh, it was quite by accident. Uh, again, the uh, Great Recession of two thousand eight was uh, settling in for for the long haul. It seemed like, so we were closing down our construction and real estate office in downtown Boulder, Colorado, and put our little building up to up for lease. Uh, groups of young folks started approaching us, wanted to lease our our building for what they said was a medical marijuana dispensary. I had never heard of such a thing, but I looked into it and took about two weeks to convince my wife, Diane, we need to do this. And that's how we jumped in. We opened one of Colorado's very first dispensaries in 2009, before rules, before regulations, back when it was the Wild West. I had four grow operations uh, shortly thereafter as well. Very cool. You know, Fast forward uh, in 20, uh, 2021, uh, we've been running a consulting company called Can Advisors for the last, you know, coming up on our 10th year. Uh, the majority of what we do is competitive application work. Uh, all over the country.
0: So, Jay, we, in fact, we met each other 2015, I think, in Vegas. And we have been, as architects, working with can Advisors in competitive states where real estate is at play. And so you you and I have developed a relationship where we're one of, I think, probably many architects that work with you to develop plans for retail. And one of the things that I think is interesting about retail is that, that fits with this podcast cannabis is a good neighbor retail comes into neighborhoods um i'll take ohio right now because i'm sure you're neck deep in ohio applications my company's neck deep in ohio applications and what are they opening up 70 uh, 78 new licenses is that the right number something like that in round two of medical in ohio
1: that sounds about right brian
0: so we've got akron and dayton and toledo and cincinnati and columbus all these cities are opening up new applications and retail is moving in and so when you look at these retail facilities one of the things that i think is under misunderstood is the economic impact of of retail on jobs on revitalization you come from a construction background retail moves into these facilities and revitalizes we bring these buildings up to ADA standards where they weren't before. What are some of your experiences in sort of the impact of this level of, of licensing and revitalization?
1: Sure. Real estate and neighborhood benefits are, I think, a positive across the board. If I think back on all my years in this industry, I've seen the cannabis industry. I've seen dispensary licensees take run-down, blighted properties and turn them into you know beautiful, fixed-up, uh, very attractive properties
0: So you know one of the other aspects that's heavy on the minds of legislators is security. So one of the things that comes along with any renovation is suddenly we're adding lights, exterior lights, we're adding cameras, and so it kind of flies in the face of the opposition who say that, well, if you bring cannabis into our neighborhood, we're going to have you know drug deals in the parking lots. I think the opposite has really proven to be true that these facilities are just as sort of mundane and commonplace as the, as the corner liquor stores, the grocery store, people, it works into people's routines. It doesn't really impact traffic that greatly. They're sort of good neighbors in that in that way.
1: This is definitely true. I, I recall a very early city council meeting in, in Connecticut once upon a time when we were going for our, our first competitive out-of-state licenses. And one of the folks uh, that was there, probably from the town, you know, people's minds go into strange places, right, when they're facing something they don't understand sometimes, and that fear begins to creep in. But this, this person uh, had that fear that you just mentioned. Uh, they were certain that there would be uh, drug dealers uh, in the parking lot of the dispensary, uh, and their, their intent would be, the drug dealer's intent would be to to intercept the medical marijuana patients before they walked into, into the store to give them a better deal was the person's concern and certainly to your point with lights and cameras and you know possibly even security folks on the premises you know it, it turns that dark spot in the neighborhood literally into uh into a neighborhood security center
0: right so and some of the other follow on things that a city council begins to realize are are jobs what would you know if if a 2000 square foot store were to open you know, what is, let's, let's, let's talk about what are the impacts of that? Like, how many jobs is that? How many, you know, let's say there's five or six in a 2000 square foot store. Maybe there's five bud, bud tenders, right? There's a store manager, there's uh, security personnel, there might be floor personnel, ordering manager. What is that? 10 jobs, 15 jobs in a 2,500 yeah, square foot store?
1: It's a, it's a dozen or more jobs, at least certainly And interesting jobs, you know, with, with people interaction and, um, you know, jobs that really, you know, foster a person feeling good about what they're doing because whether it's for medical use or adult use, let's face it, even for adult use, there's a massive wellness component there. The folks that work at this dispensary, they're doing a good thing and they're providing such an important service.
0: Now, you write, you write license applications. So I know in many competitive states, a, there is, there are things called social impact statements, right? That, that, um, where an applicant into a community is is actually pledging to let's say hire a certain amount of staff from a particular community or you know we know we've seen pledges to employ a certain amount number, certain numbers of veterans what are some of the things that companies uh, are doing from a social equity or um, other types of in terms of their hiring practices and their business practices
1: certainly Group, groups it's um it's helpful sometimes in the states and the local municipalities—they'll—they'll they'll be more inclined to give folks certain businesses licenses if they have a good feeling and feel some assurances that that business is going to help the local community. Uh, people of color, people that have been impacted negatively by the war on drugs, uh, disabled veterans, veterans uh, acro- acro- across the board. And I'll even take that a step further. You know. Uh, you know, the, the, the good folks on and Ian over at Denver Relief. This is many, many years ago. You know, as far as I can remember, they were really the first group to even go beyond that and uh, proactively reach out to the local community and, and provide services to the community. They repaired people's wheelchairs for free. They did free bike repair. They just do uh, garbage pickup throughout the neighborhood on the occasional basis. They really reached out and did a lot uh, for their local community, stayed involved, Re- really important made sure the folks around them knew who they were knew how to get in touch with them so that if there ever was a problem uh, folks would typically approach the owners of that dispensary first before taking any action that could be troublesome
0: yeah those are those are uh, those are neat stories i've seen i've seen lo- i've seen um, applicants and employers host job fairs you know in a in a high school gym on a weekend they'll post job fairs to get uh, to get to meet to meet, uh, meet demand, right? To find, Because jobs are scarce right now. Not Well, jobs are not scarce right now, but employed, but staffing is scarce right now. Uh, do you think we've, um, I know, so we're out here and uh, I'm in New England and, and a lot of the tourist, you know, in places consume such large numbers of, of employees. Uh, have you seen any impacts uh, of, or lack of employees? Is, is, there, is there a leveling off of the sort of interest of, of a cannabis job?
1: That's a great question. And honestly, um, I don't know uh, as, as regarding the uh, the cannabis industry in, in, in those positions. I do know in my uh, town of Boulder, Colorado, there are so many jobs available. I know that because I have a 16-year-old daughter and every, every single one of her friends is gainfully employed, which is pretty rare. But there's so many people, uh, so many small businesses hurting for employees it maybe that's because all of the local employees, formerly that worked at restaurants and other other places, are working in the industry right now. Well, wow. uh, I know that yeah. Canada Advisors has been uh, on a hiring frenzy over the last few months, uh, and it's been a slog. Uh, there haven't been a, as many applicants as there have in the past. Uh, we've been lucky to find good people, but the overall consensus is there's there's certainly lots of uh, you know jobs available out there.
0: Well, that's an interesting angle because it, 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 it makes me think of my own business. So to hear that you are on a hiring frenzy over the past few months, uh, my company has doubled in size since January, since uh, February of 2020. March, March 2020 is when the pandemic hit. And to meet demand, cannabis, no one stopped smoking weed over, over the, uh, during this pandemic, right? So the, the cannabis industry has, in a way, continued to grow and develop my company has had to double our staff to meet the demand of look at states like ohio come on and you know we're right we're doing 15 applications today for uh for ohio uh customers um there is new york state is opening up um michigan continues to thrive so how has that impacted uh, canada how has that impacted you and your and and your business
1: so <clears throat> We had, a, you know, things were slow for candidate advisors during the pandemic because, and I said this a lot, for better or for worse, we maintained our fairly narrow focus over the last nine years and really just mostly do competitive license application work. And the pandemic actually slowed a lot of those uh, new legalization initiatives down. <clears throat> now, the good news is the last 18 months are in a rearview mirror and so many of these new programs that were supposed to develop year and a half year ago, 6 months ago, they're all backed up now and they're all starting to move forward. So, we're expecting at least the next 2 to 3 years to be uh, extremely busy uh, on the licensing and business development side.
0: What are what are some of the new states that you see um that uh, people could look out for or people in those states listening to this might be um beginning to uh Tune themselves into.
1: I'm going to mention the Northeast. Uh, the, the, the Northeast is huge. If I if I think about how many people live just in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, that's as many people as all of California. Maybe you throw in Maryland, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. You match the population of the West Coast. Yep. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I'll be short and try to keep it to the point. California is just, uh it's a strange industry, and as a general rule. I don't do a lot of business in California, mostly because it's been the Wild West out there, not just for a year like it was in Colorado at the beginning. It's been a Wild West in California for a generation. A lot of cowboys out there still, which is okay. I'm a cowboy too. But when I look at the Northeast, when it's a new industry developing from scratch, it's going to develop in a regulated way where compliance is certainly going to be before you know at the forefront of people's minds. And I look at all the financial expertise that exists in that part of the country the branding, product development expertise, marketing expertise, I really believe that the Northeast is going to become really the epicenter of the industry uh, nationally and possibly one day globally. Uh, the Northeast aside, uh, Alabama, believe it or not, is going to have a, a truly competitive application process at the beginning of the year. It's great to see more action out of the Deep South. Uh, Florida is certainly poised, uh, poised to issue some more licenses in the next six months, I would guess a lot of action out there. There really is.
0: What Do you have any predictions on the uh, Southeast Atlantic states, the Carolinas, Georgia? I know Georgia had an application process. You and I, we collaborated uh, with a number of customers back in December uh, for the state of Georgia.
1: So the, the Carolinas are already talking, you know, they're, they're always talking about it. I see it in the news, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, certainly. Uh it's going. It's going to happen one day, and I'll further mention. You know, Georgia. Sure, they had an application process. They issued a few licenses, but just like New York, New York has had a medical program. Uh, what five years, six years? They issued five licenses for a state of twenty million people initially. Right. You know, right. all these states that do have a "quote unquote" cannabis program, they're tiny, uh, and they're 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 a fraction of what the potential is that they could become.
0: So one. Thing. yeah we're also have our eyes set on uh, on on New York and New Jersey I think there's going to be I think this next wave of, of Eastern states as you put it has uh, is going to begin to put new scrutiny on how how cannabis is is regulated and how it is, administered and I say that relative to the treatment of cannabis as a drug manufacturing industry right So we, we look we're looking ahead a lot of attention on on the facilities in which man, in which manufacturing happens and the level to which those facilities are designed is one of the things that I'm seeing a heavy impact uh, here in the Northeast so you know that that sort of reputation that New England has of being sort of stayed in business, has also developed a lot of very old industry established industry protocols right or that are very different maybe to California and to to Colorado not that those businesses don't operate completely you know but like Coca-Cola I'm thinking of established food industries beverage industries they haven't really institutional investors have not come into the cannabis space and I guess what I'm looking for is to see whether your whether your radar is showing experienced institutional investors coming into the cannabis space and whether the whether the east coast and i think the east coast states are going to have a new round of sort of scrutiny and level of of attention to uh to drug manufacturing or cannabis, seeing cannabis as a drug manufacturing not just as a fringe a fringe operation
1: certainly i, I do believe as these larger more professional businesses continue to develop in the northeast I think they'll attract a lot of attention uh, from those drug manufacturers from the uh, you know more mainstream uh, funds and financial institutions certainly some of that is going on now Uh, some of the better cannabis companies are you know raising i don't know if they're raising or they're getting some 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 debt equity uh, from more mainstream financial institutions it's certainly certainly the exception i look forward to the day that that begins to happen more and more in terms of uh, drug manufacturers I don't know that the the average investor, or, or even more the more the savvy investor in cannabis, you know, ask those hard questions early on about you know what level of facility are you building? Tell me more about the facility. Maybe they are. I don't think all the time. Uh, but I think the good news is, and you must see this from your architectural work, that folks are uh, on average getting more and more serious about building more of a, a clean uh, slash GMP uh, level facility uh, as they get into this business. And certainly that's going to be important for an exit, right? Any larger company is not going to want to buy, uh, buy a, a business that's dirty and uh, ill-equipped uh, and ill-designed. Uh, they're going to want to buy that facility that was built right the first time.
0: That's interesting. You men- mentioned exit strategy, right? That comes from business planning. It comes from anybody who's written a, you know, pro forma spreadsheet and, and, and created a business understands the, the importance of an exit strategy. What, um, what are some things in retail? That uh, can impact exit strategy. In other words, you know, retail has a number of different levels. There's a very simple retail where you buy used you know used display fixtures and and uh, there's a term called slat wall in the retail industry, which is a type of wall material you can h- hang hooks on, right? You put up a number of hats and t-shirts in terms of merchandise. And you're up and running with a very, very low dollar impact. And then there's a level of cannabis facility that is an experience, right? It is, uh, it's something you may want to spend, you know, you may spend an hour there. It's just like, it's, there's, there's some really, really shooting for the stars, retail experiences now in cannabis. How are you seeing that spread um, in the groups you're working with? You
1: know, I always enjoyed the concept of a, a retail experience that had a certain uh, tie and component to the manufacturing or even the cult- cultivation facility. And We've worked on a couple of projects like that over the years. and that's a lot of fun. Uh, to take it a step further, this isn't, uh, quite allowed in, in Colorado right now, maybe it is in other places, but I'd love to see the, the day when you could have a, a retail experience that has that tie into the manufacturing and cultivation element, uh, where there's also uh, an event space on the premises. Uh, I think that would be great to have uh, cannabis industry organizations, et cetera. I'll uh, be able to have, uh, Events at a such a now.
0: I know in 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 California, uh, so- social consumption or on premises consumption is allowed. Um, there are not a lot of other states that are following suit with that. I know you know you go to San Francisco and the Mission and you find you know you find an acceptance of that. Um, what what is your what is your radar for social consumption as a uh, within cannabis? You know, are we going to have cafes where you can choose your CBD? you know, mixed to your latte or a THC mixed to a latte? Is that in the foreseeable future?
1: I don't know about THC and the latte. That's, uh, I think, a whole other animal. That said, you know, I'm pretty sure that uh, our Colorado's new, newer governor, Governor Paulus, he's, he's, although he's been with us for, you know, more than a couple of years at this point, fairly certain that he signed a bill allowing for social consumption lounges at the state level. Now, I don't know if any municipalities have embraced that yet. I know there's been some folks talking about it in Denver and Boulder. I have not yet personally been to a consumption lounge in Colorado, but uh, I'd like to think that that ball uh, even slowly uh, moves forward uh, more and more as time goes on. Now, I'll mention probably the only social consumption lounge I've ever been to. I'm not going to mention the name, uh, even though it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal because everybody knows about this place. Including multi-state politicians, I'm sure law enforcement knows about it. There's a, there's a, I'll call it an underground social consumption lounge in uh, New York City uh, that is so popular it's gotten press. Uh, politicians, not just from the New York governor's office, but politicians from other states, have actually traveled to visit this, uh, visit this place and experience it. Uh, and it's well run. It's run by a guy. He's a risk taker and a pioneer. Uh, like I was back in the day, and he took a chance to open such a business, did a good job, keeps it clean, certainly doesn't serve any alcohol or anything like that, but it is indeed a safe place where people of all walks of life can gather and enjoy the plant.
0: Well, I'm going to be uh, in New York City at the CWCBE next week. Maybe I will uh, check that out. Um...
1: Maybe I'll Maybe I'll pop out there and take you over there, Brian.
0: That'd be a lot of fun. November 4, 5, and 6 in New York. I'll be at the Javits Center um, next week. (laughs) Wow. Well, this has really been an interesting conversation. Uh, Any other side or ancillary things? Um, I mean, I think we just touched on the idea of design and, and social consumption. Those are really fascinating subjects to me as an architect because social consumption, I mean, wouldn't that open up a whole new round of licensing and a whole new round of applications, I would imagine?
1: It might. It might. I'm not sure. But as we're talking about real estate, you know, one of the other things that I would add is sure, a lot of, <clears throat> in, in a lot of places where cannabis is new, people don't understand it. So they're naturally afraid of it. Even back in, in the Northeast right now, New York and New Jersey, a lot of local municipalities might make the decision to ban reta- retail locations uh, initially. But time goes by. <clears throat> people in the towns that have a ban, see what's going on in the town next door where there's not a ban. They see these retail businesses. They see that they're a welcoming, safe place uh, to go to buy a regulated, safe product. Uh, neighboring, neighboring businesses also realize that, hey, that dispensary next door to me, that's driving up sales at, uh, at my business. Whether that be? I'm going to say pizza. I no. Right. First thing that comes to mind, but really no matter what the business is, if, especially if there's limited dispensaries there's high traffic going to that dispensary, going to that dispensary, it is just naturally going to drive business to the surrounding, uh, surrounding shops.
0: Do you think there'll be a uh, – I know that many municipalities don't allow clusters of cannabis facilities, but I know in the restaurant world that there is a dynamic to location. So right restaurants who locate near other restaurants do better. Uh, it's the, the, the competition actually is welcomed – and it gives customers more options. Now, restaurants are different from cannabis uh, because mm-hmm. cannabis retail many times uh, has a requirement. I know in Illinois, a retailer cannot be a sole sales point for one manufacturer. Retail is required in the state of Illinois mm-hmm. to be a diverse uh, enterprise, meaning they're selling products from all you know from all different manufacturers. So I'm wondering if you know does that <clears throat> does that sort of push it in a trend away from restaurants where there's a benefit to being located near others uh, and that maybe they need to be in their own catchment area. You mentioned, a, a, you know, Connecticut uh, earlier in a conversation and how, uh, how you know, some people in Connecticut are traveling very long distances to, to, to get to um, a retail store that provides them what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, that kind of, uh, those kind of stories break my heart. I, I, I'd hate to think of you know, if, if anybody's ever uh, been injured or lost their life in any kind of an accident because they had to drive an hour to, to buy a product that they should be able to just go uh, go downtown or drive down the street to pick up. So to further answer your question about the clusters, you know, it really depends on how many licenses are available. So, you know, New York State is an example. 2015, when they issued five licenses for a state of 20 million people, sure, those 20, you know, each one of those five licenses was good for four retail locations. So big deal, 20 retail locations across the state of New York. You know, I'm sure there were people that had to drive for hours just to get some medical product. Um, so you, you really can't have a, a, a cluster of dispensaries, really unless there's a, an unlimited number of licenses in the state. And There's maybe no local regulations now. That said... Getting into the industry in 2009 in Boulder, Colorado. <clears throat> by 2010, I had a dispensary two doors up the street from me. I had a dispensary two doors down the street from me. So there was three of us just on the same the same block. And then within a I don't know four or five block radius, there easily were you know five more dispensaries at least. So we certainly had a little cluster in downtown Boulder. One of the things I know we had going us for us in the early days was the fact that we had four grow operations and we were crushing that side of the business. So business was really good for our dispensary. I don't know if it was good for all of our neighbors, but I like to think because we were all so close together, maybe somebody would go to my neighbor and then come visit us. So it's funny, Brian, the success of my business is is, is dependent uh, to some degree on On limited licenses. When a license is highly, highly competitive, that's when folks come to us. That said, because it's the right thing to do, I'll always stand up for an open program because an open program gives everybody a chance to compete. It gives the brand new mom and pop entrant an opportunity to compete against a well capitalized group. And if a if a new entrant could come in and do it better, this this was my philosophy back then. If somebody could come in and do it better than me. If someone could provide a better service at a better price point, uh, then then they deserve the business. Uh, And that's how it should be. I think everybody should have a chance to get into this industry. Let the cream rise to the top. That's the American way.
0: Excellent. Jay, this has been a delight talking to you. Yeah. If you do fly out to New York next week, um, you've got my... For our listeners, continue on our podcast journey with one coming up next. Uh, It may, in fact, touch on the... CGMP topic that was lightly touched on here, working with some great people nationally, and we're seeing a lot of uptake in that area. And I think it's worth spending some uh, some time talking about and bringing that message uh, to our listeners as well. But Jay, I want to say thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your day today and, uh, and chatting with me.
1: We had a good conversation, Brian. I'm, a, I'm a excited for the industry after chatting with you more.
0: All right, everybody. Jay Zarkowski, Ken Advisors, Boulder, Colorado. And uh, thanks for joining.